long one for Gerard. Feeling it. That's deep. Yeah, he was good. Anything else? That's right. He made shots. Next. What's up, everybody? This is James Zuba. I'm joined by my co-host, Bobby Manning, with the Syracuse Festival Podcast. B-Man's here. B-Man's in the house. And Zuba. And, <laughs> and we got Syracuse basketball. We got two games to discuss since the last time that we, we potted, since we recorded. And Syracuse beat Colgate on Wednesday and followed that up with a win over Seattle on Saturday. Yeah, a lot, a lot more happened between those two than you would think between two opening non-conference well, games, well, huh? We'll get to that. We've had a lot come out, about as much as you could have for this stretch of the schedule and, and you know, preseason non-conference basketball and, and other things as well. But, you know, Bobby, yeah, you, you've been on campus and we want to talk about this first and, uh, you know, have a little discussion around this. But But you've been on campus and you've kind of been entrenched and everything that's unfolded in the last week or so, and um, you know, national news, you know, picking some of this stuff up, you know, when you think about the the racist graffiti uh, in Day Hall, as well as you know, some swastikas and some other, um, you know, some yeah. other, you know, very 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 tough week for for Syracuse. So so, what have you seen this week? And, and you've done some reporting on this as well, from you know, the Syracuse basketball the the side of that thing and. You know, you've got, of course, some, um, you know, Otto's Army and, and the students, you know, boycotting the game. So so what's that been like on campus this past week, man? It's it's a lot, you know, it's and like I'm honestly getting a little emotional right now talking about mm-hmm. it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you see people who you are in class with, who you're friends with, who, you know, you just have a great rapport with struggling like you know there's pain in their voices when they're yelling out at these events and of course they're sitting in at the barn center they have been since wednesday as we record on saturday no sunday now i've lost track of days and just as we've lost track of racial incidents on campus since it happened there's been about i don't want to say the exact number because i don't know off the top of my head but i believe there's been over about eight at least eight incidents that have been reported by syracuse since it started so the response drew a lot of backlash because we weren't aware that this happened until almost a week after it happened at Day Hall, the initial racist graffiti. And then since we've had multiple what seemed like copycat incidents, mm-hmm. which is which says a lot in itself. And then just right. last night, we had a situation where, you know, members of a fraternity or people from outside the university uh, verbally assaulted a black student. So it's just been pile after pile of incidents. The protests are going to continue. Otto's Army has boycotted basketball games since then. And I think a big reason we're talking about this here is because the basketball team has voiced their opinions on this, as has the football team. And Jim Beheim pulled himself into it too. And uh, he had a comment after the Colgate game that drew some critical responses because he said this is a great place you know the chancellor cares a lot about what's happening here right. and this has always been one of the most diverse schools in the nation he talked a lot about the athletes black athletes who have excelled here pioneers of black yep. participation in college athletics but it seems like critics of him think that he missed the experience of today which I, is where i stand because how much is jim Beheim on campus 
Right. dealing with what students deal with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, he kind of has a far vision of it, even with his team. I mean, he knows right. his team within the context of what they deal with when they're with the team. But, you know, how much of a grip does he have on their day-to-day lives in its right. own right? Because he ripped, he ripped this movement, and the players that spoke out about it were in full support of this movement. Right. And, and for, like, I, I would give Beheim at least a little bit of credit just speaking with alacrity on the issue. But Yeah, me too. You know, at, as mentioned, you know, his experience is, is so far removed from what the student experience is today. And you, you can't really speak to that. And, and not only that, but, you know, when, when you're the head basketball coach and, and, you know, you played at Syracuse, like your, your experience as a student athlete is, is so very different than, you know, the average student or, or every student that's on campus. So um, it's, it's, it's tough to strike that balance. But, but I do give him credit for, for speaking openly on it and, and for showing up. And, you know, good on Elijah Hughes and, and Buddy Bayheim for, you know, not only speaking, but showing up with him and then, you know, just just showing up and at least being willing to, to hear people out and say, hey, let's talk about this. You know, we, we have an issue. Let's address it. Um, let's talk about it and see if we can find some sort of solution. But, yeah, you know, br- bringing it back to that that Colgate game, which which you were at Wednesday and you did, you did an excellent job, you know, reporting on this and, and writing about this. But, you know, you, you interviewed Elijah and Buddy and they, they had some some things to say. So for, for those that might have missed it, what, what did those guys say? Well, Elijah's was the most powerful of all. I, I mm-hmm. caught him as he was leaving the locker room, and he said something similar to a couple other members, but I, I didn't know then because, you know, we were scrambling all over the place, and I caught him. He was, you know, sipping on a juice box, as they do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said he would be there if he wasn't a basketball player. That was obviously the first day that the protest began, but he said if I didn't have this athletic commitment, I would be there myself. And Buddy's comments were more in line about the Otto's Army boycott. Um, Mm -hmm. Otto's Army, of course, the student section leaders there decided not to go to the game. I talked to the president of the organization, Kennedy. She said that it's the first games that she and many of the members of the Otto's Army have missed in their years here at school. And they Mm -hmm. did it again last night at the Seattle game. They decided not to go. Now, students still went. I think it sort of shows the communication gap on campus that is prevalent right now you know not a lot of people know this is going on and if they do then they're very far removed from it you know you do have a lot of people sitting in at barnes but you know there's 16,000 people here how many people are actually directly engaged with it so they to varying success boycotted these games buddy said he's in full support of that and honestly interestingly enough those are the two players that are with Bayheim when he shows up to the barnes center yesterday and Honestly, good on Jim. I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, he just did this for PR reasons. He had a funny comment at the <laughs> Barnes. He said, if you think I'm doing this for PR, you don't know me. I'm the worst PR guy ever. <laughs> <laughs> so all good on him walking back on what he probably misjudged about the movement. Yeah. It seemed to people who were there and talked to me about it, he, he just arrived after I left the gym. So I missed it. But he seems stunned at how big this was. And, of course, it's in the New York Times this morning. Washington Post has reported on it now. Good on the Daily Orange, who those bigger organizations are relying on for a lot of the coverage of this. But Buddy shows up. Eliza shows up. Jim walks back a little bit on his comments, buys them pizza, which they didn't accept. They donate it to a charity. But I think Jim did what he needed to do to smother the wounds that he created there. And, honestly, administration as a whole, their their response to this was a little slow, and yes. it was not 
good at all at first, but they've they've made amends with it. And honestly, this has escalated to a scale where I don't know anybody can handle this kind of situation with how many incidents there's been since. So we'll see where it goes. This is far from over. Um, the football team is intersected with it too. Yeah, Thanksgiving break is coming up, so that's going to be interesting. You know, these people have to go home. I don't think this issue is going to be settled, and this is something the chancellor said before then. So where does this go from here? If people want to stay, can they stay in Barnes? If people leave, does this protest continue afterward? It's going to be very interesting to watch. And you know what? A lot of people have criticisms of this. They're saying, oh, it's just graffiti. Oh, you know, people have been writing dumb stuff on walls forever. It's, It's bigger than what the inciting incident is. I mean, there's been a racially motivated attack each of the last three semesters I've been here. Of course, that Ackerman one that caught national attention. One of my roommates was one of the students attacked in that. Um, you know, the N-word was used in that attack, and then the Theta Tau incident, too. So this is long-standing issues here on campus. A lot of bad things have been revealed, and there's a lot of work to be done here. And honestly, now that it's all over the nation, good. Because now this puts administration's feet to the fire to actually do something. Sure. You know, now it's out there. Everybody's aware of it. And now how do we get to the bottom of it? How do we solve it? How do we go about it? You know, so I think from that sense, it's a good thing that that it's out there and people are talking about it. And then you can sort of work to find solutions. Um, But, you know, as as you touched on and as John wrote wrote about a little bit, you know, the university's slow to respond there. Um, You know, initially, you know, really wanted to hide it. You know, yeah. To bury the incident and that's that's really not the way to go about it you know you really kind of have to address it you know it's a deep-rooted problem it's not just limited to Syracuse um, you know not to extrapolate this incident but we do have you know sort of a national um, issue here with, with racism and, and prejudice and, and, and all these sorts of things so you want to you want to strike the right tone and um, you know want to continue to work and evolve as a society to make to make a better world so and and what's it say about society right now that when this happens people on campus are off who knows who's doing it but you know there's stuff happening in dorms so you would think it's students who who would go out after seeing what's going on on campus this week seeing how hurt people are and then just do these mm-hmm. copy that incidents either to get a rise or right. to delegitimize what they're doing or what i don't know why people would do that the swastika and the snow was just disgraceful it's yeah. it's troubling because we think we've made this progress and we really haven't right and, you know Bayheim has seen that progress made since the 40s i think this is why i give him a little bit of a pause on this too is you know he grew up in jim crow he grew up in that era where you know, there were no civil rights in this country. So he's seen his athletes and, you know, people around him advance. So he thinks we've gotten past that. But, you know, for people who grew up in this era and they only know this form of racism as the racism they know, you got to have some empathy for that. And, you know, I think he learned a little bit this week. We'll get back to some basketball, but it's tough to ignore what's going on in campus as a backdrop and neither is the athletes here. Right. And for everybody that says, you know, stick to sports, it's, it's a very hard thing to do when, when these worlds intersect. And, you know, you've got students boycotting these games, and then you've got the football team and the basketball team speaking out on these issues. And, um, you know, the, these issues are too big, and, and sports are too big to, for these things not to intersect. And well, not for, to talk about. for people who haven't been on campus and seen the new Barnes Center, the protest is happening 0.2 miles from the court that they're playing on. <laughs> so <laughs> it's tough to ignore. 
quite literally these worlds are intersecting. So, but you know, as as you mentioned, let, let's turn the page. We do have some basketball to talk to this week. Uh, oh, boy, was there a lot going on there too? <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to talk about there as well. Uh, Syracuse goes two and zero this week, picking up a big win over Colgate or a big margin of, of victory, I should say, sixteen point victory. And an even bigger win over Seattle on Saturday night. It's Sunday as we're recording, so yesterday. Uh, Syracuse goes out and scores 89 points in the victory. And Joe Girard is now the starting point guard for Syracuse. So, Bobby, what what are your biggest takeaways from the two games this week? And and where do you think Syracuse goes from here? Bayheim comes out after the Colgate game in grand fashion. Someone asked him, what does Kerry have to do to get you know, your trust again, because he only played five, six minutes in that Colgate game in the first half. Bayheim goes away from him, and then he doesn't play again. So, you know, obvious question after that is how does Carey get back into the fold here? And Bayheim just, some people <laughs> around the media there said he made the decision that second. Who knows? But he says, we made the decision today. Gerard's going to be the starting point guard for this team going forward. And as we found out on Saturday, Jalen Carey doesn't even seem part of the rotation going forward. Didn't play against Seattle. So drastic change. Gerard had a fantastic game against Seattle coming out after that. Seven for eight from the field. Is phenomenal playing off Elijah Hughes, playing on the ball a little bit too. He's got the fans going crazy. He's captivated Central New York. And now we're left saying, what role does Carey even have with this program going forward if he's not able to get back into the rotation here? Just a drastic change in the course of a week. How much did we talk all summer about what kind of impact Carey could have here as a starter? And now he's not even the bench point guard. I mean, we might see Howard Washington emerge over him in that role, which is just startling, stunning. Who knows how we got to this point? Carey hasn't been good, but has he been this bad that he doesn't even deserve a spot with the team? We're both Carey enthusiasts here, but, mm-hmm. I mean, does Bayheim get a little vindication after Saturday's game that Gerard had? Uh, well, first, if you ask Jim, he does not have a short leash on any player. I don't That's know the part I left out. <laughs> I I don't know if you heard the the act show this week, but I but I found that to be a little bit funny, and you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of semantics and a little bit of splitting hairs. But you know, when when you play a guy five minutes and you yank him and then you don't play him the rest of the game, it it does come off as a short leash. Um, you know, Bayheim was was quick to point at the the six mistakes that he made, which which is a lot for a five minute stretch. Um, if if there were, you know. A, whether there were six in total is up for debate, but you know certainly he's he's entitled to to pick and choose who you want. That's his job as, as the head coach, and he's going to play the guys. And he said that you know we're going to help him to win. And right now, that's not Jalen. Um, what I will say is, yes, there is a little bit of indication in starting Joe and having him go out and you know drop twenty four points on eight shots. <laughs> Seemingly not, he only missed one shot in the game, you know, five. Of, five of six from three and then five of five from the free throw line as well. So just, uh, you know, obviously incredible showing, um, you know, great offensive performance by him. But my, my point is that, you know, okay, if you're Jalen, yes. Okay. It happened. You know, you lost your, you lost your job. You don't have to look over your shoulder at this point. It happened. You know, you, you pulled the bandaid back and you, you take the embarrassment a little bit. Um, I, I did find Jim's comments a little bit harsh towards Jalen. Um, in both both post game pressers, but for Jalen, okay, it happened. The worst is over, and now you just get back to work. You know, you go back and practice. Beheim said after the game Saturday, he's going to get another chance. He's going to play, and 
you just come in and you try to prove yourself and regain some of that trust. And I had a little piece today about Deion Waiters being back in the dome, which, by the way, as, as we've talked about before, uh, you know, you know, you've you've kind of made the push for former NBA guys, you know, yeah. older Syracuse alums coming back, and we got it. <laughs> yeah, it killed me missing that. He was at the stand taking questions after the game, it looked like. I wasn't at the Seattle game last night, so I missed out on that. But like I said, we we took a hard stand on getting these NBA players back in the fold there. We talked to Autry about it a little bit. Maybe they took our advice. I don't know. <laughs> I refuse to believe we have any influence over that. But, <laughs> but Carmelo back last week, and then he signs with the, the Blazers, and then you got Waiters on a career low. Maybe if he rebounds it, you know, if he rebounds it, the carry dome becomes a new place to, for NBA players to come back and, and resurrect their careers. I don't know. Well, the Heat have been fantastic. They're going to be an NBA Finals contender, and they haven't cut him yet. So he'll be along for that ride no matter what gotta, capacity it's in. <laughs> Tyler Lydon, if you're listening, go back up to the Carrier dome soon. um no hey hey man so let's let's get back you know i i had a little piece on you know what what a better guy for you know jalen carey to see come back up to the dome and you know i I know you weren't around bobby but but when you know waiters was on campus you know 2011 2012 two years he and Bayheim, you know didn't have the best of relationships you know they kind of clashed as you know waiters thought he was you know, a starter and, and Bayheim wanted him off the bench. And, you know, of course, Dion never started a game, but was magnificent in the six man role. And yeah. then, of course, gets, you know, six man at Syracuse, but the number four pick in the 2012 NBA draft. So, isn't that something? Um, yeah, that's an interesting comparison because if you think now, Gerard's probably not going anywhere as a starter for the foreseeable future unless his game really tanks. So that's the role that Carey's going to have to assume here is that bench facilitator of offense, mm-hmm. the the burst guy off the bench. We talked about him being in that role last year, and yep. now you wonder if that's where they found him in the right place there. But the fact is you have to play him for him to develop into that role, and he doesn't have minutes right now, it looks like. They asked him last night, I saw that, about whether he'll get back into the rotation or not. And Bayheim said, you know, he's got to do well in practice. You wonder who's even going to be able to integrate him back into this fold. It's not Bayheim. Do the assistant coaches help him a little bit in that regard? We'll see. But I think it's to everybody's benefit having a player of that caliber around the program. Because if you just shelve him for the season, he's going to transfer. And why wouldn't he? No doubt. No doubt. And there, there's been some talk about that. And if you're a Syracuse fan, I don't know why you would want him to transfer. Um, I, I said, you know, in the article as well, um, there, there's going to there's gonna come a time, and I, I truly believe this, there's going to come a time this season when Syracuse needs Jalen Carey. And, you know, whether it be a Buddy Beheim shooting slump or, you know, Gerard, you know, struggling and, you know, maybe the defense isn't that good. Or maybe you're just playing a team that you need someone to dribble drive. You need someone quick that can beat their defender off the bounce, and that's Jalen. So if if you're a Syracuse fan, you know, I don't know why you would want a kid like that to transfer. And not for nothing, you know, I, I've been high on Goodine, but he, he hasn't shown anything through the first three games that he's really capable of playing that first guard off the bench role and, and you know, really taking the mantle there and, and commanding that position. So um, I'm definitely, definitely high on Bryson, but he hasn't been quite the, the aggressor or um, the, the player to really, you know, take the bull by the horns and, and be that third guard. So I do, I do think though, that if you're Syracuse, you're going to need Jalen at some point this year and you, you want to have him, you know, kind of in that six man role. And if Gerard's playing well, yeah, he's solidified, you know, that starting point guard spot and he's going to be the starting point guard going forward until something changes. 
That's a great point on that waiters comparison. I love that. So go check that out over at noonsmagician.com. I, I do love how the team looked against Seattle, though. So I'm <laughs> with you on the carry criticism of Bayheim. Like, you want this guy involved. But they come out Saturday after the adjustment, and they look fantastic. 89 points. Okay. I know it's I know it's Seattle, but like this is the kind of offense we've been dreaming of Syracuse running for years now. They had cutters going on the back line. They had Marek and Sidibe upsetting screens with three guys across the arc who can shoot, who can you know dish it to each other on the opposite side and get a three out of it. Hughes and Gerard had some great chemistry on the ball in that game. And the biggest story of all of this is that this makes Hughes the point guard on this team. And he's been embracing it. He's been getting a lot of assists in the role. And he's been pushing the fast break, which is so crucial because this team looks so much better on that break. We thought it was going to be Carey pushing that part of the game because that seemed to be his strength. He was as comfortable doing it himself. And, that you know, he's been off to a little bit of a shooting slump to start this year. First yeah. two games were not that great for him. I think he was 33% through the first two. Mm-hmm. He gets himself right in that third game, pushing the break, and they have a nice ball handling dynamic on this team right yeah. now. I think he's a type of guy that can be just like a pressure release. You know, if he gets the rebound, he can just get it almost not by committee, but if he gets it, you know, he can bring it up or Gerard can bring it up or, you know, even even Buddy can bring it up as well. You'd, you'd probably rather have Joe or Elijah, you know, handling the ball there. But, but Buddy's worked really hard on his handle, so you can almost run it by committee there. And then, yeah, Elijah has been facilitating the offense a lot. And when you got Dolajai out there as well, he's oh able to God. get it from the top. And, you know, we saw a couple times Saturday he hit Elijah on that backdoor play that they're wont to connect on. So uh, I thought I thought Dolajai had a great game. It, it was kind of quiet, but, you know, he's massive won, story. He's unbelievable, man. I mean, you know, 19 points and he did it, of course, on eight shots, seven of eight from the floor. Uh, didn't shoot it well from the free throw line. He was five of ten, but. You know, four assists, three steals, two rebounds, and a partridge in a pear tree, man. He's out there <laughs> doing it all. <laughs> he is but phenomenal. You... We, we've talked about him being the guy on this team who's going to have to play every minute of every game because of what he brings on both ends of the floor. He had another ridiculous play after the spin move and dunk against Colgate. Oh, man. <laughs> he comes out and makes a steal, jumping up and cutting a passing lane against Seattle. Goes in transition, beats a guy with a little Euro step, and finishes with the left hand, I believe he did there. Oh, so he has had some smooth plays over the last few. And I, mean, I want to ask you about this, too. He's been a guy who scores... You know, three to five points. He fills out the bar score across the board. He does a little bit of everything, like you said. What we've been missing is that punch on offense that he can provide, whether through shooting or getting to the lane. He did it against Wake Forest his freshman year, which was the best game he had prior to last game. And now he almost beat that mark last night. It's been dozens and dozens of games since the Wake game, and we haven't seen anything close to that. What do you think got him back to that last night? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, you know, Barama didn't have his, his best stuff against Seattle. He had a great game uh, against Colgate earlier in the week. But, you know, Dolajai, when you put him there in the center spot, I think Syracuse is just so much better offensively. You know, the offense moves. You're getting spacing. You're getting a little bit of, you know, you can speed up the pace a little bit too. But, yeah, it's interesting. I think, to your point, you know, Dolajai's freshman year, we kind of saw him come on late and, and have that sort of offensive game, you know, t- I think back to the 20-point performance against Wake in the ACC tournament and then 17 on TCU in the NCAA tournament. 
for one reason or another last year, he just never really got up there in terms of points. You know, didn't seem yeah. very very confident uh, or as confident in his jump shot or his shooting ability. But I do think that, you know, he's going to get a lot of minutes. You know, he logged 37 minutes against, you know, Seattle on Saturday and, you know, only 24 earlier in the week. But he, he's a guy that can do that. I mean, he can play, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game at either the forward or the center spot. And I think he, he really benefits, especially in these games, you know, when you don't have bruisers down low. You know, some the, the, for those types of games, those ACC games, you know, you're going to have to have Barama in there for for longer stretches. But you know, for these types of games, yeah, no no problem with having Dolajai at center, and you know, just improving the offense with some of the things that he's able to do there it definitely makes Syracuse better. I always love them as a duo, especially since they both rebound a little bit. It takes some of the bang off of Marek. You know, he doesn't have to be there clanging around with the centers and such. Sadibe handles that opens up a few lanes from a wreck maybe i think him playing the four a little bit more can open his scoring a little bit especially where you're going to have a guy who can take those post touches and hopefully get it out to other guys like sadibe has the last few nights which is nice to see foul trouble still a concern for him free throws especially doesn't look like he can make a free throw but if he's able to stay out there the benefit it gives Marek, i believe is enough to warrant sadibe having significant minutes on this team so those five Gerard Hughes Bayheim, Marek Sidibe looking like a pretty formidable starting five and even after the doom and gloom of opening night as we talked about on the last episode Virginia's gone out against two three opponents now and forced them to under 40 points across the board so maybe they just are that good as Virginia or as Syracuse talked about after that game they were kind of light on it I was very critical of them being light on that kind of performance but Virginia has shown that they're just that good defensively since they are that good defensively and you know obviously they they played Columbia this weekend and then uh, I forget who the opponent was but they held them to, to 34 points as well the game after Syracuse and just ridiculous yeah. it's un- it's unbelievable you know Tony Bennett and Beheim even said it in the the post game presser that you know after the Virginia game that he expected them to be better this year defensively which is interesting when you think about it because they they lose Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy who were pretty good but not tremendous college defenders. But on paper, you know, this Virginia team actually does have the personnel to be a better defensive team than they were a year ago, which is ridiculous to think about. But they're they're proving it so far this year. And, you know, we, we could turn the page and, and, you know, talk more about Syracuse. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, the, the free throw shooting, that's that's been a little bit of a problem. You know, Syracuse only shot 58 percent from the free throw line against Colgate and then 66 percent against Seattle. So looking true to, to Syracuse form there, they're, yeah. they're leaving some points on the board. You know, Quincy and Marek didn't shoot it that great from the line. Um, definitely Syracuse is going to have to improve that this year, especially in close games. You know, the, the free throws matter. I'm going to sound like Brent Axe a little bit, but the free throws do matter, and they're going to matter more as the season goes on and you're in tighter contests. But, you know, let's, uh, let's turn the page here. We got two games coming up this week, Bobby. You got Cornell on Wednesday. The Bayheim versus Bayheim versus Bayheim Classic. Yes, and then you got Bucknell on Saturday. Now, is it out of the realm of possibility to think that if Syracuse handles business against Cornell and against Bucknell, that they could get back in the receiving votes category the following week in the AP Top Twenty-Five? 
No, these these aren't <laughs> opponents that are going to boost them up to that level. They needed a Virginia just, just win. Receiving votes, not ranked, just a couple receiving votes. No, the, these teams okay. aren't good enough. It's it's going to be tough for them to put themselves in the spotlight again the rest of the way. That Virginia game was the big opportunity for them to do it because it would have set them on a course where they would have been undefeated for a little while. We talked about that path that they could have had to being in the borderline ranked territory going forward. Their non-conference slate just isn't strong enough. Who knows? Colgate wins the Patriot League. They have a great season. That looks like a good victory. But Seattle, Bucknell, Cornell, I know in particular, is a pretty bad team. So these <laughs> these ones aren't going to do it for them. It's great. They can experiment a little bit. They can get some minutes to Braswell and Edwards, even though they haven't done that yet. <laughs> Bayheim said this is an experimenting time, which I'm like, isn't isn't that what what is this if it's not experiment time? <laughs> so I don't know. I think they got to get into that. Oklahoma State, Penn State, Ole Miss stretch and really just start tearing off victories through there and they'll be back in that category. I'm really excited for Thanksgiving week. This next week's going to be a little bit of a slog. Yeah, this this next week's going to be a little bit of a slog for them because they're just going to be able to tear through these teams and I don't think we're going to learn much about them any, in the, anyway. So it's great that they've set up this new lineup that they can maybe start integrating carry again in those games and some of the other guys that haven't played a ton. Because we've seen signs from Braswell. Edwards has looked good. I don't know how you've seen him so far, but he looks like he can be a guy who can move his feet. He's big enough to impact plays defensively. Bayheim seemed optimistic that he could get more involved than he has so far. He hasn't played well enough to do it, but it'd be great to have a backup center on this team because they don't right now. Yeah, not considering Marek, you know, Edwards has solidified himself as the backup center behind Sidibe. And, yeah. of course, John Bullajack's going to redshirt this year, as, you know, you had some some good reporting there as well. But, yeah, uh, Edwards, is he's looked good. He's mobile, and, you know, I, he's he's a little raw. Uh, I think it's going to take him some time before he's really adjusted to this level. You know, he's only yeah. been playing basketball for a few years. So I think it'll take him some time to adjust. But, you know, certainly if he can get five to eight minutes a game or, or something like that, I think he can, you know, lend his services to Syracuse and, and be okay. You know, maybe just get a bucket or, you know, some defensive stops and a few rebounds in that stretch. And I think he could be helpful to the team. Uh, I, trouble. I, Foul yeah. trouble is the big one for me. Hey, he's he's at least five fouls to give. You know, if Barama's in there falling out and, you know, you got a, a tougher opponent that you don't want Marek in there, he's another guy that you can throw in there and absorb those five fouls and, you know, kind of get through some stretches without, um, you know, having Sidibe being forced to play in there as Syracuse has been in recent years. But, uh, yeah, and, and as you said, too, uh, I would like to see, you know, Syracuse this week, Cornell Bucknell, that – you know, if the this if you do get some separation there, that Jimmy can unleash the the secret weapon in Robbie Braswell, man. He didn't play. <laughs> he didn't play Saturday. Played a little yeah. bit in the, the Colgate game, but he didn't get a chance Saturday. Yeah, he thought Beheim that is thought Seattle was closing in a little bit down the stretch. And he wanted to stay with the starters there. There's really no excuse this week against these two teams. You got to start rotating in some of these rotation guys and form a little bit. I know he doesn't think they need a bench. He's went on a whole tirade about how they don't need eight to nine players because nobody does. But come conference time, there might be injuries. There might be foul trouble. These are all things that can pop up, and you want to have guys who are ready to participate in the event of that. Howard Washington, too. I was glad to see him get a little bit of a run at the end of that Colgate game, have a nice runner and one. Autry was very excited about that. (laughs) 
maybe he's not the greatest player in the world, but he knows the zone. He's aware. He's very communicative when he's out there. I've always liked him as a player, and I'd like to see him have a chance to play a little bit if one of the guards gets into foul trouble in their own right. Hard not to root for a kid like that, you know, that's been through everything that he's been through. Freshman year, you come in, and you're not expected to play, and, you know, the grad transfer loses, you know, he, he leaves the team, and all of a sudden he's playing. And he's struggling. And then, you know, he finally gets his feet underneath him and looks like he could play a little bit and help the team out. And then he tears his ACL. Yeah. So he's got to come back. And then he comes back the following fall, you know, gets the full strength there, ready to go. And then unbelievably has the stroke. And, you know, red shirts last year, which is just unbelievable for a kid that, you know, is that young. You don't think of, of people that young having strokes. But, um, you know, a, amazing fight that he's that he's been through and, you know, hard not to root for a kid that that's been through. So, so you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe he does get a little bit of a shot in the rotation with with Jalen not playing, and you know, Bryson hasn't really solidified himself there. Although he does have a bright future, so you never know. Maybe, maybe Howard does get a little bit of run. Yeah, so that's what we've got so far through this season. 2-1-1 is not a bad place to be, despite all our disappointment on opening night. I think the team has found a good starting five, and frankly, James. It was just Seattle, I'll say it again, but the way they played, the style in which they played, the rhythm that they had offensively in that game is everything we imagined coming into this year. Much different personnel doing it. It's funny, I didn't even know if Gerard was going to be a rotation guy coming into this year. Now he looks like he's going to be central to everything they do going forward, and so be it. If it works, it works. It looks like a good adjustment so far, and we'll see where it takes them going forward. Who would have thought, man? You know, we, we talked about the guard rotation all summer, and Gerard was the fourth guard in rotation in Italy. You, you know, obviously had Jalen and Buddy starting, and then Bryson as the yeah. third guard. Bryson but when, great. when he hit 44% of his threes in Italy, a little thing went off in my head and said at some point they're going to need this guy. Sure enough, here he is, starting point guard. So a lot of Syracuse fans are happy about that. Uh, let's, let's wrap it up, though. Um, you know, I just want to talk a little bit about the defense. Uh, Seattle did make a little bit of a run at Syracuse to open the second half and yeah. started making some threes. So uh, do, you, do you think that, you know, Buddy and Gerard, do, do you think they're out of rotation a little bit? Do you think they're given too much space? Um, do you think Bryson can, can, you know, solidify a spot there if his defense is good? Um, what, do you, what do you see from the defensive side of things? And, and obviously Syracuse gave up, you know, 67, which isn't a high total, but it is a, a little bit high for, for a team in, in Seattle. Yeah, so we've been looking at the analytics a little bit, and it hasn't spoke well of Gerard so far. You know, it's a little tough with that point per possession stat and where it throws points at the different defenders in the zone because you don't have that one-on-one assignment as we've talked right. about. But it's been tough on Gerard. The other defenders on the wing have done a better job in that regard. But this team hasn't got crushed from three so far. Of course, they shut Virginia down out there. Colgate. Mm-hmm. Did not throw a ton of threes at them, but I felt like they defended the line well in that game. What has me a little concerned right now is that back line. It happened in all three games. They were having guys run behind them, dunk the ball, get possession, and feed other guys. They're having a tough time, yeah, rebounding too. 
you know, controlling that part of the court. And it's such an important part of the court. We talk about the high post a lot, but if you're funneling the ball through that back line too, it's a huge problem because guys can just go right up and score. You get foul trouble down there. It's a dangerous place. So I don't know who it is in particular. Could be Sidibe. You know, he hasn't had a great start to this year defensively. We saw it in the preseason. He was really bad defensively in the preseason. But I also saw Elijah trying to cut up on a guy and letting someone slip behind him last game as well. So all three of them down there have struggled a little bit, and it's something they're going to have to clean up because you know ACC teams bite that part like crazy. They know these zones, and that's a spot where teams aim to damage them defensively. So... Defense looked good against Virginia. Last few games, I've noticed that back line has slipped up a little bit, which is a concern because usually they're rock solid there. Yeah, and, and I don't think Virginia is going to be a great offensive team this year. I think they could be good, but you know, certainly not going to have the scoring prowess that they had last year with, with Guy Hunter and Jerome. So they should take a step back there. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know, the defense hasn't been great. You know, they got to work on that. They've got to work on the rebounding aspect. Obviously, as we've talked about before, it's tough in the zone as you don't have blockout responsibilities and you get guys crashing in from the wing and it gets complicated. But um, definitely got to tighten the screws there and get better as we move forward. But as uh, as we approach, we got Cornell Wednesday and Bucknell Saturday. Um, we'll podcast again. We'll have Bobby and Austin back on campus this week. And then I'm up in New York City the week after, man. Thanksgiving week, I got Oklahoma State at Barclays and either Penn State or Ole Miss at um at barclay center in brooklyn so i'm looking forward to that and then we get to acc big 10 challenge and then we're in december man so we're, we're right in the thick of things here yeah wow. this ramps up quick which i'm excited about because i i think this team could be good we, we were both optimistic coming into this now that they found a lineup that works i i believe it again not great competition so far but i think there's a formula here that could work for them offensively and if you can score 90 points then there's some op- reason for optimism there. We haven't seen them do that, you know, good opponent, bad opponent the last few years. So just to see them do a period is very, very, uh, you know, encouraging. Of course, when you almost throw up the 90 burger, you know you get taco time. Syracuse goes 2-0 and in taco time by this week, by the way, this week. So go go to Taco Bell. You went to the game, you know, redeem your tacos. We want to know about it, too. We're covering it. Austin's covering it. If you go out and you get Taco Bell tacos, if you redeem them, you know, let us know in the comment section or hit us on Twitter. So uh, Austin's following that all this year, so that should be fun. Uh, but, yeah, for, for Noon's Magician, you know, hit us on Twitter as well, at Real Bob Manning, at James Zuba, and keep it locked. We'll have coverage the rest of the way. All right, guys. See you soon. Mm-hmm.